Hi, this is Dana Gould, comedian, shopper, mother, and you're listening to New Dissident Radio. This is Kelly Carlin McCall, and uh, welcome to Waking from the American Dream. There's never been a time There's never been a time There's never been a time As fucked up as this As fucked up as this Katie Goodman uh, singing, <laughs> I didn't fuck it up. And I just, I love that song because, uh, God, she just fucking nails it on the head. You know what I mean? It all feels so fucked up. And I don't remember personally fucking it up, but I'm I'm sure I did on some level. I'm, I'm positive I uh, fucked it up uh, somewhere along the way, or someone did. Uh, I, t- I tweeted something the other day about... Um, how the Republicans blame the Democrats, the Democrats blame the Republicans, and, uh, of course, the independents blame everyone. And uh, and then I said, you know, and then in your own life, when you're with someone who blames everyone for their problems, what do you think about that person? Just a thought. thought I'd put it out there because I didn't fuck it up, so don't blame me. 
Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to this day's show. It's September 8th, I do believe. Uh, the day is 20, uh, the year is 2011. And Mr. Obama, our president, President Obama, just did a speech. I missed it. I was in the car. And no, I did not listen to the news with it on. I did not want to do that to myself. Uh, not after last night's Republican debate, which uh, if you follow me on Twitter, which is Kelly underscore Carlin, I um, <laughs> was tweeting my ass off because I was having... Sometimes I just love getting in a snarky mood, you know, and I usually like to stay above the fray and I, you know, I mean, I vote. Okay. I do vote unlike my father who didn't vote, but I vote and I do participate, but I like to stay above the fray and, you know, kind of see things from a bigger point of view. But sometimes I love just getting snarky and it was fun last night getting snarky with all the comedians on there on Tweet the Press. Uh, so just a little bit of news before we dig right into uh, my guest today. Uh, the exciting news is that um, I am moving. The show, Waking from the American Dream, is moving to a new network. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with New Dissident Radio. New Dissident Radio is a fantastic place and has been my home for uh, a, about a year now. But I have been invited to join Kevin Smith's, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, Smodcast Internet Radio, I think they call it. Smodcast Network. Uh, check it out if you're if you're not a a, a fan already. Uh, check out his amazing network that he has, and I'm just really excited because this will expose me to uh, uh, an even bigger audience and a new a newer audience. I did a show on Kevin and his wife Jen's uh, podcast, their morning podcast called Plus One Per Diem last week, and uh, it was. It was amazing. I, I made Kevin cry a bunch of times, uh, but he invited me and, and, and I have to admit, I did. I asked. I said I would love to be a part of this Modcast thing. So I am. So I think it's going to be happening at the end of this month, um, September 29th show, which actually is going to be my show with Margaret Cho. So that'll be a fun way to initiate my time at Smodcast. I'm very excited about that. Um, and I'm just going to unpause here my uh, caller. Uh, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, some of the reasons why I have this particular guest on today and, and you know, about, about why I do this show. As, as some of you know who've listened to all of my episodes and some of you who don't, maybe you just pick the comedian episodes, which is totally cool with me, too, and you happen to be listening today. But, you know, a lot of my the last 20, 25 years of my life, I've spent transforming myself and trying to figure out the path and, and who am I and what's this all about and trying to find kind of a, you know, a spiritual path, I guess you could call it. I, I mean, it is that. I mean, I'm very curious about that kind of stuff. I was very new agey in the 80s and into crystals and stuff like that. It's not my scene anymore. But but I started practicing um, sitting meditation, some Vipassana Buddhist practices, and then I got into Zen. And, um, and so I'm, I'm always fascinated with personal transformation. And then like the last 10 years, you know, I've been really thinking about like, but where's my part, you know, like, how do I, how do I move beyond just, you know, kind of, what do they say, contemplating my navel, you know, what's, what's next. And I ran across some interesting readings and thinking thinkers out there, uh, Ken Wilber being one of them, Andrew Cohen being another, talking about the evolution of consciousness and integral philosophy and this whole other level of thinking that's really fascinating to me because it reminds me of my dad in a sense that, um, it moves beyond the duality. It, it, you know, you can't categorize it really because it's it's not willing to be categorized because it holds all categories, which I find really appealing to me and fascinating. So um, that's part of the reason why I'm doing this show is because I, you know, I, I kind of wanted to find a form where I could go above categories and 
and discuss things beyond the right and left, even though I, I do at times, you know, get caught in that um, paradigm also, uh, as we all do. It's, it's, it's a choice, you know, when I do. But um, I, I'm excited about my guest today because my guest, who's, his name is Jeff Carrera, he and I ran into each other, I guess, somehow online or something. And he, he is, um, he's a person who uh, is part of this evolutionary consciousness movement. He um, first received his undergraduate degree in physics and then spent five years working as a research engineer before realizing that life's deepest questions could not be answered through science alone. I can totally relate to that. He then decided to move on to um, receiving his uh, master's in education, and he's now director of education for Enlightened Next, which is a nonprofit uh, organization dedicated to catalyzing the evolution of consciousness and culture. And if you remember, maybe about four or five, six weeks ago, I had Carter Phipps on, and he's also associated with this organization. And in some strange ways, I'm really not in any official way, but... I just love their philosophy and I love talking to these guys. So, and what Jeff does right now is he oversees and creates um, programs and events that inspire what they call the evolutionaries, which I guess I would be considered one of those. Um, And in recent years, he's also developed an interest in philosophical roots of evolutionary enlightenment and in particular American um, philosophy, the transcendentalists and the prag- and pragmatists, which I'm also just totally fascinated by. So I'm really excited to have Jeff here. Welcome, Jeff. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, I'm very excited to be on with you. Uh, Jeff and I um, talked on the phone about a month ago. We just had a conversation, and we had one of those conversations where, you know, we don't know each other, and yet you and I had this, like, amazing conversation. And then I thought immediately, well, you have to come on my show. This is going to be way too cool. <laughs> And God damn it, I'm in charge of my show. I can have whoever I want. <laughs> Good, lucky for me. <laughs> so I thought we might lay down just a little bit of kind of groundwork for the listeners here. And, you know, one of the phrases in that description of what you do is you work for an organization that catalyzes the evolution of consciousness and culture. Um, wow. For me, that sounds like the most exciting thing in the world because, you know, I watched the Republican debate last night and, and half of them won't even admit that evolution exists. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of actually getting to participate in the evolution of consciousness itself and the culture uh, is like uh, just, you know, uh, part of my pure bliss in my life. But can you talk a little bit about like, what does that mean? Like, what that you know is this like uh, some sort of weird like master manipulation of things or what, what does this mean this evolution of consciousness and culture? That's a, that's an excellent question. I mean, obviously it's a uh, you know it's a big term uh, and to some extent defies description. Uh, but if you think about the just the development of of evolution, or at least for those of us who believe in evolution. Uh, it seems as if uh, you know the universe has evolved to the point where it created uh, at least on this planet and you know maybe others, but certainly this one life forms, and eventually those life forms uh, developed a very mysterious thing known as consciousness, uh, which no one seems to really be able to define, uh, and yet we all seem to have it. Mm-hmm. At least human beings seem to have it. Yes. No one's denying that they have consciousness, but no one also knows exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, and and then in terms of culture, I mean, we are social beings. We exist 
uh, within cultures. Uh, uh, we are part of culture. The, the line between the individual and the society in which they, they exist is, is a pretty hard line to draw. Uh, we all think of ourselves uh, as independent agents with independent thoughts, uh, but it would be equally true to think of ourselves as cultural, you know, as manifestations of the culture that we uh, were, were born into and, and in which we live. Uh, and so when I think about the evolution of consciousness and culture, you know, it really seems that evolution at this point uh, doesn't I, I don't imagine uh, future evolution being dominated by physical changes. I don't imagine the human species necessarily evolving into dramatically different physical forms. Mm -hmm. But we do seem to have uh, an ability to evolve at the level of consciousness and culture. You know, the the consciousness of a human being a thousand years ago and the culture in which they existed was dramatically different from the consciousness that we experience, you know, as uh, human beings in the developed West uh, and the culture that we exist in. Yeah, and, and uh, I don't think people, like, really... I mean, I know it took me a while to even understand that. Like, people who lived in the Middle Ages, even, their mm -hmm. their consciousness, their idea of I versus the culture or their idea of as, as being an individual was really different than what, what we kind of just wake up to um, as we grow into being, uh, you know, a more conscious little being from being a child to, you know, a young adult type of thing. They really had a different understanding. And of course we don't have a time machine and we really can't go back there, but um, I've always been fascinated by that, 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 that their idea of I or, or where they fit into the scheme of things was just very different than ours. Right. That's, uh, I think that's, <clears throat> I mean, I, I definitely find that a fascinating thing. And, and, you know, you, you, you mentioned that you interviewed uh, Carter Phipps and he's been working on, uh, on his, on his book called Evolutionaries. And he, uh, he writes about there's a chapter in it he calls the Flintstone fallacy, huh. and 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 that's something that we tend to all suffer from, and and partly you know television shows like the Flintstones didn't help us, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because they picture you know in that case uh, I guess some sort of uh, caveman so to speak, but they have completely you know, modern attitudes <laughs> right, exactly. and, and language. <laughs> yes, of course. You know, and then so often in movies, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you, you have movies of, for instance, the middle ages, but basically people have attitudes that you can relate to. Yes. Yes. Uh, particularly older films. But as you're saying, you know, it's an interesting thought experiment to imagine what it would really be like to, to go back you know, to the Middle Ages. There's a great story, I believe it's about uh, Saint Germain. Uh, and, 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 you know, he was a saint in the, in the early Middle Ages or, or maybe before that. Uh, but uh, basically, people would come from, you know, great distances to see Saint Germain because he was, had been bestowed upon by God a miraculous gift. And, and basically, he could read without moving his lips. Wow. 
it was amazing. No you know, he could he could look at a written page and his lips wouldn't move, and then he could put the page down and tell you what it said. Wow! And, and you know, but at the time that was considered a really miraculous event because most people weren't literate at all. Certainly, they weren't literate at all, and if they could read, it, you know, the reading and and the motion of the lips was basically one event. Wow, that's wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> Isn't that wild? But you get a sense. Oh, that was a that's a very yeah. different kind of human being. Very different world, absolutely. And and even I mean, obviously, and I've talked about it here before. You know, the Enlightenment and what that happened, how that created this this mm-hmm. idea of this individual that we are that is more of a what they call a, a modern sense of of the individual and the I, and. Um, and and so that's kind of like the last big shift, I would say, is is in in human consciousness. Yes. Uh, I well, I think it's probably the last. It's probably the last biggest shift. I I think uh, sometimes when when people uh, think about you know the last big shift, they really they talk about something called modernism, which really initiated with the Enlightenment, and they talk about something called postmodernism. Right. Oh yes. Uh, right. And some people debate, you know, there are, are some people, I think the German philosopher Habermas argues that post-modern, postmodernism is really more late to the age of modernism. Hmm. Uh, but either way, there does seem to have been some kind of a shift that's, that I think probably was initiated during the Romantic age. You know, it was the, romantic, the Romanticism uh, kind of initiating with Immanuel Kant, uh, and it was a, and there really was a significant shift there from even the modern point of view, and which interestingly enough happens to be, I think, the roots of these kind of evolutionary philosophies. Right, right, and and that and that time, that Romantic time, just to give it a historical context, mm-hmm. was that the the early eighteen hundreds or mid? Uh, t- yeah, um, tends to be the the second half of the eighteen. Okay, yeah, okay, uh, all right, yeah. Really, when it kind of. Uh, uh, um, no, no, I'm very sorry. It's the second half of the 1700s and the early 1800s. Okay, okay, all right, all right, yeah. Uh, and and um, you know, and that's a it's a fascinating time because you know, Descartes in some ways was 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 one of the founders of the modern age. Right, the I think therefore I am guy. That's right. And he really <laughs> he really said that you know there's a mind and there's a world and the mind is a perfect vehicle for understanding the world. Uh, uh but what Kant was saying was well there's a mind and there's a world but but there's actually also a perception of the world mm. which is sort of not either of those two. It's it's it starts with the world, but it's also created partly by us. Right, right. And that's certainly where, uh, you know, most most people are these days in the culture where, you know, that, that's that postmodern you're thinking that you think that's about. Right. Our where, culture. Right, where everyone has the different perspective. And that's right. one of the things you can do uh, if you're adept at it is to be able to step into another perspective and, and understand mm-hmm. it, you know, and think, that's right. oh, that's what that's like over there on, on that side of of the street or that side of the aisle. Um, so, so what do you think's happening right now? I mean, you, you know, you're part of this, this, this amazing organization that's really dedicated to this. And, and what do you think is this, this turn that's happening right now or is potentially could happen in the next hundred or however many years, you know, it all takes, uh, what, what, what are we shifting towards? 
Well, I think you know, in terms of in terms of evolutionary enlightenment, uh, which is the sort of philosophy that 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 the organization Enlightened Next is dedicated to, and also to a large extent integral theory, which you mentioned earlier. I think what's going on is this great awakening to the fact that we are part of a developmental process, that we're part of an evolving process, that we weren't always like this, that that life wasn't always like this, uh, and we are gaining more and more understanding of how this process has developed, uh, and we're entering into an age where we will be able to take uh, uh, much more, much more consciously, play a role in how we evolve, mm-hmm. as we began to speak about at the level of consciousness and culture. We'll be actively and consciously creating ourselves at the level of culture and at the level of consciousness in ways that weren't possible earlier. Yeah, I, I was, and I was thinking about this earlier. You know, that whole idea of when. Um when the astronauts went to the moon and we had that amazing shot from the moon of earth and how that really changed earth consciousness that like, you know, the, the whole ecology movement really started at that point. It had already started, but it was really like, wow, we are all one. And, and I, I was thinking about that and the whole idea of this idea of, you know, nuclear weapons and, and how we have the ability to, I mean, certainly it's been in our consciousness now for about 50 years that we can mutually destroy each other with our own weapons, that humans have the power to to really shape on a very profound level our environment. Right. And and now this whole argument with global warming, which is, is it man-made or is it not, you know, is man affecting the environment? Does man have the power to really do that? Or is this the environment just going through one of its natural cycles? Um, but this, this whole idea that we, that we, we are shapers in some ways we have shaped, I mean, no doubt we have shaped this world we live in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dramatically in, in many ways. And, and although we, I'm sure that there's a tendency, uh, I'm, I'm imagining there's a tendency for us to exaggerate the amount of influence we have over the planet. It is certainly true that we have more influence over the planet probably than any species we know of mm-hmm. uh, has ever had. And, and right, and in any time, certainly, that humans have ever been here, we've... Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm wondering, I mean, I think part of... I'm just, this is just coming to me now. It's, you know, this mm-hmm. whole idea of self-responsibility that, you know, really thinking about that, that, wow, we really are impacting this, that it's, it's not just going to go along and it's not just going to take care of itself, that if we really are impacting everything, then that means we really do have to start taking some big responsibility for things. Right. And holy shit. <laughs> that, that is absolutely true. I mean, it's, if you think about the, if, if, you know, whatever hand we've had in global warming, you know, if the moment where you really have to directly face the reality of what you've done, mm-hmm. you know, a kind of species-wide responsibility is taken. I mean, you know how it is as an as an individual. You just, you know, do something insulting to somebody, yes. and it takes all the courage you've got to kind of admit <laughs> that you did it. Yes. So exactly. imagine what it's going to take us to admit that we've actually destroyed this beautiful planet. Fuck, man. 
Yeah, and and I think about you know that's it's such a great analogy because as an individual, absolutely, you have to kind of go through all those voices in your head that the part of it that wants to slide it under the the carpet and the rug mm-hmm. and ignore it, you know, and the other part that just wants to go and distract yourself with some ice cream and American Idol. <laughs> <laughs> Right, or you just rationalize it away, and it wasn't really your fault; it was really their fault. Exactly, exactly. And yet, um, and yet, if you really care about that relationship, you are going to muster the courage. That's right. Uh, to 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 look them in the face and say, "Wow, you know, I fucked it up." You didn't get a chance. I was uh, I had you on pause, but we started the show with a song called "I Didn't Fuck It Up," which uh, I'll send you a, a clip of. It's just wonderful, but. It, it really fits well with this this part of the conversation because um, the nature of it is, is, you know, we all look around at everyone else saying, well, you fucked it up. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> that's absolutely right. Yeah. You know, and that's that's really, you know, in terms of some of the quote unquote spiritual work, you know, that, that I am involved in a big part of it, uh, it. You know, there's a very interesting, in terms of this, this uh, ability to really, uh, take responsibility. You know, we we tend to want to slip from the person who didn't realize they did it mm-hmm. to the person who feels bad about it and would never do it again, uh, without actually being the person who did it in between. Mm. And uh, it's a it's a very profound uh, thing that I've learned over the years that it's you know it's 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 easy to be the person who feels bad, you know, because you're kind of a saint who feels really bad and you would never do it yes, again. Yes, yes. There, there is something kind of positive about that, but it's very hard to actually be the person who did it. Yeah, and to sit with that mm-hmm. ultimate uh, heaviness. It's a real heaviness. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And a... Um, yeah, and it's it's that moment, it really feels like I'm just feeling it in my body, even as we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. There's a real sense of adult here. There's it, adult. Yeah, being an adult. Yes, it's like you can't right. be, you can't be the child wishing mm-hmm. it away or wanting mommy and daddy to fix it. And and you're not past it, so you don't have the lightness of it's off your shoulders now. But there's right. there's something about being really grown up here and and owning Owning your shit, as they That's say. Right. That's right. Yeah. If you think about that as a planet-wide ownership, mm. I mean, it's it's hard to fathom. There's a professor called, um, his name is, I think it's, oh, I forgot, I think it's Tim, Timothy Morton. He's at the University of California, Davis. Uh, and he writes about ecology, and he says we should, we should stop thinking about it as something that we can prevent. Mm-hmm. You know, global warming, and we should just admit that it happened. Right, right. You know, and and kind of, you know, it's a similar point, really. It's because if you're still pretending that it it maybe can be avoided, you're not really dealing with the fact that it actually happened. Well, yes, and and thus uh, Al Gore's inconvenient truth. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. It's a little inconvenient because we can't. We we we're we're trying to. Um, you know, sweep the whole planet under the rug right now, and it's not fitting. <laughs> it's, right. it's, too, right. it's too big. Yeah. Um, so I want to shift a little bit and talk a little bit sure. about your, um, uh, just a little bit about your own personal work with this. I mean, you know, wh- how, what kind of, how do you work with this yourself? You know, you were talking about your, you know, your, your work with uh, Andrew and, and what you do. 
what's what's part of the what's helpful about what he talks about or some of the work that you talk about in helping one own this perspective more and and to be able to to sit with it and and walk through this right well i i think um you know i i think that you know it's because andrew cohen is a spiritual teacher and and he has a a very well thought out uh and uh comprehensive teaching and i think I mean, what I find very powerful about it, and, and it relates to what we said about the evolution of consciousness and culture, is that most of us, you know, we come to spiritual life because we don't really know who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings, and we have desires and we have fears, uh, we have attitudes and we have opinions. Uh, at some point, many of us realize that we don't even really know where we got all those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe we did some uh, psychotherapy and found, you know, we dug up a few things from our childhood that explained some of it. Yes. Uh, but, you know, you begin to to realize you don't know where, you, where you don't know how to have a really original thought. Absolutely. And, and kind of seeking that relationship with kind of the origin of it all, or who am I in my essence of some way? That's absolutely right. Well, you're looking for who you really are. Uh, and and I think, you know, a- Andrew uh, originally came from an Eastern, you know, he, he, he had an awakening in an Eastern uh, philosophical or spiritual tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he really was initially just a very powerful teacher who was able to connect you with an experience of, of who you are in a very deep sense. Uh, and, and over time he's, he's, uh, his teaching has become, you know, as he's embraced evolution and, and really in a sense how he's embraced a more Western perspective and, and added that to his teaching. He really defines the self in terms of what he calls a choosing faculty. Hmm. You are the, you are the one that chooses. Wow. Uh, and, and, and it's a very, to me, it's a very powerful way to, you know, you can have a very deep realization that in spite of all the voices and all the conflicting emotions and the whole complex internal world that we exist in, in the end, if you just accept that you're the one who makes whatever choice it is and you take responsibility for that choice, uh, you find yourself very powerfully uh, kind of landing in, you know, in, in what really matters, which is what we do and how we affect the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an interesting thing. I'm thinking about my own experience of things, you know, we were talking about the concept of awakening. Andrew had some sort of mm-hmm. awakening, which I'm sure you've had that kind of experience. I know I have too. And, and usually that includes some sort of profound shift in one's perspective where you see that you are beyond this kind of personality, this, right. so I'm beyond this person named Kelly, who was born mm-hmm. into this particular world by these parents and with this particular storyline, and that right. I'm, I'm, I'm connected to, to everything. I mean, every fucking molecule <laughs> everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a bus on the street or the farthest uh, star in a galaxy. And, and so, and, and usually that kind of experience there's there is some sense of i but it's it's a very different sense of i 
That's right. Yeah. And and so now and, and then it feels like what Andrew's done also is there, there's there's this other kind of I don't know if it's a, a removal of another layer or it's it's like you said, that's a kind of a Western kind of slight angle on it. So so it's like the I who ultimately chooses and takes responsibility for those choices. That's that's interesting. No, that's that's you know he he speaks about it often in terms of being and becoming, mm, mm. And, and that and that the Eastern spiritual uh, realization is about who you are in essence in in your being, right? And, and I think that's what you just described very beautifully. You you fall back into a sense of I that completely transcends, you know, the whatever it was that was born on your birthday and will <laughs> die when you die. You're not that. You're something much more conscious right. and much more all-pervasive than that. Uh, and then he said, you know, then, and then he goes on to say that, that if, you know, in the East, the, the spiritual traditions tended to be, take you to that place where you realize that, that who you really are is that ultimate pure being, mm-hmm. and then you're free. That's the end. <laughs> You're done. You know that's you know then then you are the Buddha. Doesn't really matter because it's not you anyway. Right, right, and that's and that's that that is. I mean, and, and when you're in that perspective, when you're feeling that, it's true. It's it's almost like totally true. Nothing matters, and yet in a really interesting way. Of course, you right. also hold the the feeling that everything matters. Right. Um, but, but it's it's not apathy. Right, right, exactly. It's it's profound empathy. And yet it's detached, profound empathy. Yes. <laughs> if people, definitely. If, if my listeners can understand that. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely true. It's, you, you really feel like you are in the only place there is. Yes, absolutely. So it's not like you don't care about other places. They just don't exist. <laughs> right, exactly. <clears throat> until, until they do. <laughs> until they do, exactly. And that's, you know, and, and the way that Andrew teaches, he says, but, you know, if we're going to act in the world, right, then then once we aren't, you know, sitting on our meditation cushion or, <laughs> or in our samadhi state, yes. then, then, you know, it's a, we need to relate to ourselves not just as the being that's doing nothing, but as whatever it is that's choosing. Mm. Ah, so and, it's, it's the step beyond that then. It could be considered a step, I mean, he Who knows? could be definitely considered a step beyond it, or it's one is in the dimension where nothing's happened and the other is in the dimension where things happen. Right. Because I always say to people, guess what? You know, we do live in uh, on Earth and we do have bodies and um, the trash does need to get taken out tonight. That's right. And, <laughs> and, and, and the life that we're living is not unreal. Right. Right. You know, it, it's also real. Yes. And, and so that's, yeah, that's, so that's kind of how those two... That, that was very beautiful the way it came out. That there's that the ultimate source of of yourself as pure being, and the ultimate source of yourself as essentially the chooser, or 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 if you think of it in a bigger sense, the evolutionary impulse, that which wants to become. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yes. So that that so that's where the evolutionary comes in. Is that thing that urge that we all feel as humans? I mean unless you're in a very depressed state in some ways, but there's that thing. It's like something gets us up every day. Something, something draws me or pulls me or drives me to, to whatever's next in my life. Uh, You know, even beyond the fact that I've got responsibilities in the world and bills to pay and things like that. There's, there's some sort of impulse inside of me that says, I want 
what's around the next corner. I want what's next. Right. Absolutely. And, and if you think about, you know, the little you told me about the initiation of your uh, radio show, your internet show, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you initiated this as an act of, you know, as an, you initiated it because you thought it might catalyze the evolution of consciousness and culture in some way. Yes. That you, you might educate people, you might change the way they think, they might change other people, it may lead to actions changing, you know, and, and there was a real urge in you to want to do that, because I know, I, I did a radio show myself, it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. and you have to be fairly motivated to, to, to actually pull it off. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it's those urges that, um, you know, I mean, I, I work as a life coach, too, and one of the things I try to do with my clients is to connect them to those really essential urges that possibly family and education and culture has told them is not appropriate or is not going to get them uh, you know, uh, safety, (laughs) you know, because I really believe that those are the urges where the genius comes from, where the solution to these crazy problems and and things that we think are, you know, intractable issues are actually going to bloom from, you know, people who follow this urge are, are the ones who, you know, actually live outside of the paradigm and say, hey, look, at I, no one's thought of this one yet. Let's try this. Right, right. Absolutely. Definitely. I, I know you're a, an Americana buff, or at least you, you, uh, you told me you were. Yes. And, you know, you know William James, uh, one of the things I loved about William James, the American philosopher and psychologist, is uh, that he – in his evolutionary theory, because he definitely was a, very inspired by the idea of evolution, mm. he recognized that everything occurs on a bell curve. You know, everything, most stuff is kind of in the middle, and then there's some stuff on the fringes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and, and he realized that whatever's going to be the next big thing always first appears on the fringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, he, you know, he felt like we spend too much of our, of our time paying attention to the middle <laughs> and we should be out on the fringe because that's where the next big thing's going to going to appear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and I think that's, you know, I always try to encourage young people who the, the ones especially who feel completely misunderstood and feel like they're aliens in this American culture. Right. I, I always say to them, Oh no, you just, you're perfect. You're great. Because <laughs> Stay on the edges, stay on the fringe, you know, and yet, you know, this brings up a really, I think for me, a personal point, which is, you know, the part of me though, that also feels like I need to feel safe and secure. And so I want to be a member of the tribe. I'm so afraid that the tribe is going to look at me and go, oh boy, she's a little nuts, that one. (laughs) And we're going to keep her outside of the circle now because she's, you know, she's saying those things again or thinking those thoughts. And so there's this constant battle inside of me, um, and I'm sure all of us, about, you know, stepping up and stepping out and, you know, what do they say, flying our freak flag uh, (laughs) versus, you know... um, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, co- getting along and, and, and complying and, uh, you know, knowing the secret handshake and or, or not that the not so secret handshake and right. and not scaring people too much. Right. Right. And I think that partly is always going to depend on 
where you want to locate yourself in society. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I think, and that and that doesn't necessarily mean you aren't, you know, that you don't want to have evolutionary and radical uh, uh, results. But I think some people want to be located more in the center of society, and they want to be a a gadfly or a you know, an, an irritant for evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you, if that's what you're doing, you 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 know, there are, if you go too far out, then you won't have any more effect. Right, right. You'll so, just be discarded or or ignored. Right. So so it is that a very precarious little line one walks uh, to mm-hmm. to be relevant and yet uh, not to be uh, compromised. That's interesting. Yeah. Right, because you can't go too far ahead of whatever is the. You know, if you think in evolutionary terms, uh, and you you can you can only go you can only be so far ahead. Yes, right. And if you get too far ahead, I used to be a school teacher, so I know that if you if you teach children too far from where they are, you just lose them. Right, right. Or, or even thinking about you know an animal evolving that if it 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 evolves some sort of function or something or some way of reacting to the environment, and and the environment doesn't support it. Mm-hmm. It's going to die because it it can't interact in a sustainable way with the environment anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. That, right. Absolutely. You can exactly. You you have to the the changes have to be gradual enough so that they're sustainable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and I you know and I think that's what's uh, so. Hmm, I don't know. I I kind of that's where the panic comes up for me because I. I look at the planet and I look at the state of um, certainly our political systems who, you know, I guess we think they have all the power to change things, but I'm, I'm cluing in more and more that it's not really where it's at anymore. Uh, and you see how slow these institutions, which a lot of these institutions are in crisis right now because it's right. not working, but you see how slow these things want to want to move. I mean, uh, you know, just thinking about the environment, since we've been talking, kind of using that that kind of uh, topic to think about this. You know, you know, you're saying, well, if we all just took responsibility and said, look, something's happening to the planet, and we need to work work on it. Um, but people aren't even there yet. <laughs> At least not in this country, they're not. I mean, in Europe, they are a little bit, but right. Um, you know, and it's like so. So, what can we do? Like, what 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 can we do as individuals to? participate as individuals on our own evolution, but also on the, the evolution of this culture? What, you know, what, what would you say to that? Well, I, I mean, I think it's a good, a good question. I mean, I think the first thing we probably have to do, those of us who are kind of awake to, to the exact dilemma that you are pointing out uh, is, I mean, I think the first thing we have to do is, 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 uh, be, I, be careful not to be motivated by wanting that dilemma to go away. Mm. You wow. Know, because, because I feel like for most of us, I mean, I feel this too, and I, I can get in. If I want to, I can really get into the panic, you know, which, <laughs> which is which is the, oh, my God, what am I doing? You know, you start looking at everything you're doing, and you think, this is what effect do I think this is going to have? Yeah, yeah. You know, this is not, you know, then you want to go out like, and I don't know, this is, I can see this is how revolutions start. You want to go out and buy machine guns and start <laughs> shooting into the air or something. You, know, you just don't know what to do, but you want to have some big effect. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, a lot of that, 
would be motivated by just not wanting to bear the intensity of the moment we're in. Yes, yes. You, you know, and we have to be willing to bear it. That this, the moment we're in is, is a moment where we actually don't know if humanity can change fast enough. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and, and we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be willing to, to bear that kind of intensity without losing, you know, without losing our optimism. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that, that's really it, isn't it? I mean, and that's that, that kind of thing, certainly that Buddhist practice and and Buddhist teaching, um, affords people, uh, it teaches you how to sit in side of things like that and, and see that, um, having that feeling or having that thought in it in of itself is not going to kill you. Right. <laughs> right. And that it'll actually change into something else, mm-hmm. you know, and and I, I think that's 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 kind of profound. And, 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 and we only have a couple more minutes here. And I think I just kind of want to kind of leave it in that space that for, for all of us who are who are listening here today and, and, and sitting with this, that, you know, what would it be like to just to, to be able to sit with that? with that idea that we just don't know if we're going to make it through all of this and to let ourselves feel the feelings that come up with that. They will be panic. I'm guessing uh, some grief, uh, some uh, who knows, some numbness, some, you know, whatever's going to come up is going to come up. Um, but what's, what's on the other side of that, um, that actually we may gain some access to something that um, who knows, who knows what could be there? Um, wow, that's 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 really nice, Jeff. I haven't really thought about that or really sat with it in that way. Um, and yet, it feels like, as an individual at least, uh, it's something real to contemplate instead of um, pulling my hair out, you know, at the e- economy of today or the politics of today, right. which I feel completely powerless over. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like at least being able to sit and witness this uh and be with it is is in itself an act of courage kind of for the whole species interesting right and 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 as you said we we won't know what possibilities lie on the other side of facing the truth right until we face the truth and if we don't face the truth all we're really going to be doing no matter what we think we're doing is avoiding the truth (laughs) yeah yeah, and and that's and that's you know I, I don't know anyone on their deathbed wants to look back at their life and say, "Wow, boy, I did a lot of good avoiding of the truth." <laughs> right, I, I certainly don't. I certainly don't either. <laughs> Seeing that my whole life feels like about, uh, you know, living the truth, presenting the truth, or figuring out what the fuck the truth is. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, how to spell truth. I don't know. It's it's all around truth. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being here. And I wish we had another hour because we could, I know you and I have 10,000 other things we'd love to talk about. So we uh, certainly do. we'll have to, we'll have to have you back on the show and, uh, and dig into another uh, pile of yummy, luscious thinking time. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you very, very much. And, and thank everyone, uh, who, who listened in today. And where can they find your stuff, Jeff, and what you do? What's a website we can lead them to? Well, there's a couple of things I'd, I'd love to do. To, to, uh, two directions I'd love to point people to. One is I have a blog called 
uh, evolutionaryphilosophy.com, uh, and a lot of my writing is up there. And from there, you can find more or less everything else uh, online about me. And, and I guess the other thing I thought to mention is that, you know, we talked about Andrew Cohen. Uh, he has a new book coming out in just two weeks called Evolutionary Enlightenment. Can't wait. And has a lot of the, a lot of the kind of spiritual teachings that I was uh, hopefully expressing well. I think you did, you. yes. <laughs> you did a great job. Well, that's, Thank you very much. That's great, and thanks for pointing us to Andrew's new book. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, well, thank you. My, my pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for being here and listening and subscribing to my podcast and following me on Twitter. You can find me at Kelly underscore Carlin and, um, of course, liking me you like me on Facebook. I just love that term. It's so silly. And if you, and you know, it's just ridiculous. It just kind of feeds my ego every day. It's very hard for me. I have to go meditate for every 20 minutes after someone likes me. Um, (laughs) And if you have any music or feedback or questions or anything you want to share, um, you can find me at WFAD radio at gmail.com. Next week, I have Dennis Palumbo. He's a therapist and a writer, and he, he works with some of the best writers in Hollywood. So if you're a writer and you want to know about anything about writing, uh, please check out the show. He's going to be a great guest. And I'm going to leave you with my dad, which I do every once in a while, with a little ditty called Everything is Okay Anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Well, if the sun comes out each day, everything must be okay. Yes, everything is okay anyway. If all we ever had was total war, and peace and love and giving were a bore. Well, if we cried and died all day, you could still hear someone say that everything is okay anyway. Volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, and tidal waves. And man is forced to live again in caves. But if all we had was fire, you'd still hear the cavemen choir singing, Everything is okay anyway. Yes, everything is okay anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Well, if kids come out to play, everything must be okay. Yeah, everything is okay anyway. If no one was allowed to jump or run, if no one was permitted to have fun, and if it rained hard every day, you still hear someone say that everything is okay anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Well, if you do not miss your pay, if you hear what I will say, you will know that on this day, I have seen a little ray of forgetfulness. Hi, it's Jake Johansson. You're listening to NewDissonantRadio.com. I'm going to listen now that I know where it is, NewDissonantRadio.com. If you can't spell that, just keep trying.